Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Adrian Barnard in the UK. On this week's show, we talk about the brilliant Mohamed Salah as he won the English Premier League's PFA Players Player of the Year award. Also, we speak to Cameroon right back Collins Faye as Faye takes us through last year with the Indomitable Lions as they won the Africa Cup of Nations, but then failed to qualify for this year's World Cup. The spirit we had before going to the African Nations Cup, we lost it. That feeling, that that uh, fighting spirit. We didn't, we didn't continue. We didn't continue the same spirit after the African Nations Cup. And also we look at Arsene Wenger's decision to step down as Arsenal manager and take a look back at his almost 22 years with the club and what he did with the Gunners. So there was great news for African football as Liverpool's Egyptian forward Mohamed Salah won the prestigious English Premier League PFA Players Player of the Year award last Sunday. It's only the second time that an African player has won it. It is the second time in three years as well, as Algeria's Riyad Mahrez took it back in 2016 as Leicester won the league. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard joins us from the UK. Now, Adrian, last week you highlighted that the winner usually comes from the championship-winning team, meaning many thought that Manchester City's Kevin De Bruyne would win it, and this makes Salah's achievement all the more remarkable. You know what, Steve? I've been thinking about some of the very best Africans who've ever played in the Premier League. You look back at pioneers like Peter and Love from Zimbabwe at Coventry City way back in the early 1990s. Then you've got the Toure brothers, Kolo and Yaya, JJ Akocha, Kanu, Adibayor, Didier Drogba, all fantastic players, and yet... None of them ever won the PFA Player of the Year award. Only Riyad Mahrez at Leicester two years ago has mirrored Mo Salah's achievement in winning this prestigious title. And so, Steve, for Salah to be the choice of the professional players themselves, and that's despite Liverpool not being the title winners, well, that speaks volumes about the achievements of this amazing Egyptian international. Throughout the season on this show, my colleague Stuart Weir has been singing Salah's praises, and rightly so. Perhaps, uh, in fairness though, Steve, we should also spare a thought for Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, The Belgian midfielder has had an absolutely brilliant season. He's been so influential in helping to guide Manchester City to the Premier League title. And in any other year, he'd have won the PFA title hands down. But we have to focus on Salah, don't we? Now he's just the fifth player in the history of the Premier League to be involved in over 40 goals in a single season, with 31 goals and 9 assists. The others in his exalted company are Alan Shearer, Andrew Cole, Thierry Henry and Luis Suarez. And as Liverpool still have three more Premier League games to go this season, don't be surprised if he adds to that total. Salah is a phenomenon. Yes, and on receiving the award, Salah said that he values trophies for the team more than individual awards, and he certainly did his part as Liverpool beat Roma 5-2 in the first leg of their UEFA Champions League semi-final last Tuesday. Yes, Steve, two goals and two assists for Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino. Not a bad contribution, is it? And uh, this is not in a Premier League game against uh, one of the lower teams in the table, remember, but it is in the Champions League semi-final against Roma. 
Now, of course, Salah joined Liverpool from Roma last year, so the Italians knew all about him, but uh, they still couldn't stop him. Now, 5-2 does sound a great platform for a Champions League semi-final first leg, and uh, if Liverpool fans had been offered that score before kick-off, many of them would have taken it. But after being 5-0 up after 75 minutes, to concede two late away goals, well, that would make some Liverpool fans rather nervous. Jurgen Klopp took Salah off after 75 minutes, so was this then the encouragement that Roma needed to push forward for the vital away goal? And then having scored two, they'll now feel they've got a genuine chance after, remember, they came back from a 4-1 deficit against Barcelona in the previous round to win 3-0 at home and go through on the away goals rule. So it will be a tough ask for Liverpool. However, Liverpool always look likely to score with the strikers they've got. And I think they'll score in Rome and they'll get through to reach the final. Now, in the other semi-final on Wednesday, Real Madrid won 2-1 at Bayern Munich with goals from Marcelo and Asensio cancelling out Kimmich's opener for Bayern. The German champions are now going to have to win 2-0 or 3-1 at the Bernabeu to go through, and I think really that's quite unlikely. So, for me, Steve, everything points to a Liverpool-Real Madrid final in Kiev on the 26th of May. And wouldn't that be a fitting place for Mo Salah to end his amazing season with Liverpool? And uh, how about this then, Steve? Could Salah, in fact, even win the title for the World Player of the Year, the Ballon d'Or? Former Liverpool legend Stephen Gerrard certainly thinks so. He said after Tuesday's win that Salah is the best player on the planet right now. And if Salah can guide Liverpool to the Champions League title success, don't be surprised if he does go on to win the Ballon d'Or. Yes, well, thanks, Adrian. And uh, Solomon, Salah winning this award uh, really puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? Steve, uh, definitely. Uh, Salah winning this award really puts a smile on my face, uh, especially being that, uh, you know, Salah is the first African-born player, uh, you know, to win this award. Yes, Riyad Maris won it, uh, you know, two years ago, but at the same time, he was not born in Africa. He was born in France. So, obviously, uh, Salah is the first African-born uh, player. And also, uh, the, the levels of achievement, you know, the goals that, that he scored, uh, spectacular goals is something to really marvel about. Over 40 goals in, in one season, you know, creating and breaking so many records that were set by other players before now and scoring so many goals, 10 goals already in the Champions League. You know, that is a feat that every African should be proud of. And to cap it all, you know, Mohamed Salah is just a very humble player. He's a very simple living player. There is nothing extravagant about, around him. You know, people that live with him and play with him always talk about his his just his humility you know and just his simplicity when he uh, talks to people and it's good to see an african player that would inspire millions of other african players you know across the continent of africa and also showcase african football and what african players are able to do and i think you know for me that is just uh, the big plus there well, congratulations to Mohamed Salah. And I've mentioned this before on the show, but uh, here in Zimbabwe, we first knew about Mohamed Salah back in 2013 when Egypt came here and beat Zimbabwe 3-0 in a World Cup qualifier with Salah scoring a hat-trick and he was simply unstoppable with his pace down the right flank. And so it was no surprise for us here in Zimbabwe to see Salah make a mark in the English Premier League. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with Cameroon right-back Collins Fye. 
Fai was a key member of the Cameroon team that won the Africa Cup of Nations last year. And then having won the Nations Cup, they played poorly at the FIFA Confederations Cup and then failed to qualify for this year's FIFA World Cup. Ofai is 25 years old. He plays in Belgium for Standard Liège. Before that, he was in Romania with Dinamo Bucharest. Planet Sport Football Africa's Liam Flint spoke to Fai and first asked how Cameroon managed to win the Africa Cup of Nations last year when very few thought they could do it as many senior players stayed away, leaving Cameroon with a young, inexperienced squad. For us, we didn't go into the African Nations Cup. Well, the objective was just to get through the first stage of the tournament because it's, uh, it was a very long time uh, Cameroon didn't go through the, the, the group stage. So the first objective was to go through the group stage. We didn't have any known, so much known player or star. We're just going there like to prove ourselves. Like 60% of us were, that was our first major tournament with the country. And we had this opportunity to play. And from the beginning, we didn't, talk, we didn't think about winning the, the African Nations Cup. We didn't think about going to the finals. After the first game, after the second game, we went to the second round. And after winning Senegal, that's when we were like, okay, we can, we can do something. We can do this. We don't have anything to lose. We can, let's just go and play. Let's just have fun and enjoy the game like we are doing. Let's just fight like everybody's doing. But for sure, it's, uh, it's more than what human being is, more than what everybody can think. It's, I think it's just a, a blessing because we didn't have a team that could compete for the, for the trophy. And Collins, where do you go from there? When you've won that tournament... AFCON at such a young age that's what a lot of African players dream of doing you've done it already so what's your big dream now do you want to win it again uh, I think it's uh, for the national team I hope and I wish maybe win the next one again because it's in Cameroon this one I wish we can win it for for the fans or for the for the country because we are hosting it but uh, I think the next dream for me in the national team is to get to the World Cup yeah, like you were saying, that was that must have been such a high with the Afcon to then not make it to the World Cup. What do you think went wrong there? I think uh, the spirit we had before going to the African Nations Cup, we lost it. That feeling, that that uh, fighting spirit, we didn't we didn't continue. We didn't continue the same spirit after the African Nations Cup, and it cost us a lot. And so when we look forward, Collins, to the World Cup in Russia, out of the five African nations that will be there, who do you think will go the furthest? This representative of Africa, I think all the, the five teams are very already are like they are capable to do something. But uh, I'll take Nigeria. If I have to choose, when I say all the five teams are really they are really capable to do of doing something. But I think Nigeria, I played against Nigeria. I believe they have a very good team. They can do something. And Collins, away from the pitch, I know you're very open about your Christian faith. Why is that so important to you as a footballer? The way, the way I got to to Europe and the way I started playing professional football, it's some. It's just it's a little story of uh, the more I go forward, the more reasons I see why it's important, why some things happen, uh, and I and I believe I don't merit all these things, but I have them, which is something uh, I really believe God. It's the it's the will of God for me. How much of what happens out on the pitch is because of your faith. Exactly, exactly. I think, uh, first of all, the talent is from God. The way I think like a human being or the way people think or the people that thought would help me like human beings, they didn't. So I don't, just God that helped me. I don't know if a human being or somebody. 
I think uh, they, they go together. So where where did your faith come from? For my for my parents, when I met this uh, this brother Enoyong, it's somebody it's somebody I've been looking on to ever since I was still in Cameroon. He used to play for the national team also, and he was a role model for us with the with his way of life, football and out of football. So I had this opportunity to play with him here in Standard, and he he got me more closer to to God and made me understand the things that I I really didn't understand very well. And I think uh, from him, I became more closer to to God than I was before. That's Cameroon right back Collins Faye on his football and his faith, talking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Liam Flint. So Cameroon not making it to the World Cup this year, Solomon, but I was interested to see that 77 people have applied for the vacant job of Cameroon coach, which tells you as they're definitely still seen as a big team in world football. Yeah, Steve, uh, 77 people have applied for the vacant job of a Cameroon coach. You know, yeah, it definitely tells us that Cameroon is still a big team. Uh, just because Cameroon couldn't qualify for the World Cup in, in Russia 2018 doesn't mean Cameroon is not a big name. Cameroon has been a big name in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, sometimes they take a dip in their performance and sometimes they go up. But remember, they're also the defending champions when it comes to uh, AFCON. Uh, so, and, and they have players across the world that are doing well. So these coaches that have applied out of the out of the seventy seven Carlos Queros, you know we have uh, Felipe Trossier, Samson Siasia from Nigeria, even Rigobert Song has applied for it. So it's good to see African coaches also applying uh, for this job. It's not just about the big name Cameroonese, uh, but it's about the kind of players that Cameroon also has. Any coach would like to coach uh, Cameroonian players because of what they have to offer. Very talented players that can work with the coach and achieve so much with it. So I think Cameroonian players are every coach's dream. Though sometimes it's very difficult to work in Cameroon because of the administrative challenges. But all the same, I, I hope that you know the Cameroon FA would be able to to pick the right coach that would really understand the culture of Cameroon and and also understand players that come out of uh, the Cameroon. Yes, and with these players like Collins Fye, who's 25, Cameroon could be much stronger in a couple of years from now. Yeah, Cameroon would be very strong in a couple of years, not just Collins Fye, but, you know, we have Benjamin Makunju now. Uh, I mean, he's, he's in his 30s now, but at the same time, there are other, you know, young players that are coming through. And if you look at the last AFCON that Cameroon won, a lot of the players that played there were very young players because the older players and the much more mature players uh, refused to honor you know uh, the invitation but these young players came on and and went all the way and won and a lot of them they haven't played for Cameroon even 20 times yet you know they they knew that was their first major championship so there are these players and there are a lot of other players also to pick from Uh, and, and I feel you know in the next four years in the next World Cup I feel Cameroon would do whatever it takes to be there uh, because the pain of losing and not going to, to the World Cup uh, for the nation of Cameroon is really severe and, and something that football fans don't appreciate and the country in itself do not appreciate because they know they have what it takes to be able to, to feature at the World Cup. Uh, but in a couple of years, we should watch out for Cameroon, both in the Afghan tournaments and also World Cup qualifiers. We're going to see you know, the growth and, and Cameroon hopefully back to its golden years again. Well, thanks, Solomon, and it's going to be interesting to see what Cameroon will achieve in the next few years. 
This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, and you can download our app and listen to the show any time. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show any time on the app and access past programs too in our archive. You can also listen on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. And next we turn to social media, where last week we had a report from Cameroon, where six nations competed in an under-17 tournament for the Central African region. As we've often said on this show, investing in youth football is so important, but it's often overlooked in Africa. So we asked, how serious is your country about youth football? We've had another great response, a thanks to everyone who got in touch, and we'll take your comments country by country. We'll start with the situation in Zambia. On Facebook, Joseph Mulenga says, After winning the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations, which we hosted back in 2017, youth football has been on the up here. We're doing pretty good, but we can still do much better. We have all it takes, says Joseph. Mwenga Maimbolwa is also positive about the future in Zambia. Of late, things have improved here. We now even have an under-15 and an under-17 league thanks to the Football Association, and this is to be done across the country. The youth are the backbone and future of any country, and a strong youth system leads to a strong league and a strong national team. Look out for Zambia in the near future, says Mwenga. And uh, things looking positive in Zambia. I think many of us uh, around Africa would envy what's happening in your country. In Sierra Leone, Victor Wilson says it's a very different picture. Youth football isn't too serious in my country because for over five years there was no football league in my country because the Football Association and stakeholders have been fighting each other. Mohamed Shamak Kargbo sadly agrees. In Sierra Leone, the most loved sport is football, but the government looks lowly upon the game, even the national team, before talking about youth football. So to answer your question, football is not valued in my country, says Mohamed. From West Africa, we go to Uganda, and James says the youth teams are doing well in football here, except they need more training to make it better. But Kitenga Ijia Godfrey Allen gives another perspective. Youth football in Uganda is poorly funded. We have talent, but all the top league clubs don't have academies and they don't have playing grounds, says Kitenga Ijia. But Jeffrey sees hope for the future in Uganda. I wouldn't say youth football is strong, although a number of youth academies have been started. These are operated privately. However, the challenge I see in Uganda is there's no follow-up mechanism after these young talents outgrow the academies, and you find a lot of talent going to waste. For example, Ugandan academies featured prominently in several youth tournaments like the Gothia Cup and many others that we've won a good number of times. But if you look for these boys today, only a small percentage can still be found active in football, says Jeffrey. Well, next to the situation in Malawi, Patrick Mwanlima says, let me tell you the truth here without hiding. Mostly Malawi doesn't put its effort into the development of football, as evidenced by the fielding of over-age players in certain competitions. We only have one single football academy, which also is not fully functional, says Patrick, and that makes youth football uncompetitive. 
and Albert Kadzombe agrees. In Malawi, there's little progress due to financial problems and inadequate facilities, says Albert. Aubrey Peary says here in Malawi we have lots of work to do in several aspects of youth football, ranging from lack of community grounds where youths can train to the issue of age cheating and no sponsorship for youth tournaments. Sad situation there in Malawi. To the Gambia and Sana Jaune says the football federation here always talks about it, but they're not investing in it. Here in the Gambia, we really lack youth football. And Abdullahi agrees. In past years, we had success in youth football, especially the under-17s, with our famous World Cup outing in Peru, where we beat Brazil 3-1 in one match. But recently, our football body's not making enough investment in youth football, says Abdullahi. Hamadi Jallo also agrees. My country is in the same situation, overlooking youth football, says Hamadi. The Gambia is a poor country in facilitating youth football. But Lamine B. Touray sees a different picture. In my country, youth football is very strong, says Lamine, but we lack that many achievements here in the Gambia. And finally, to Cameroon, where Donald says, actually, investment in youth is the foundation of football, but in my country and in Africa, it is not serious. I was at the finals of the under-17 tournament in Cameroon, the one that we reported on on the show last week. But to be honest, these young players were just selected randomly, so I don't think you'll get to see the collectivity of their play, says Donald. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. Uh, always great to hear from you. Well, this week we're talking about Arsenal and Arsene Wenger. We've got uh, Stuart's thoughts on Arsene Wenger's departure shortly. He's leaving the Gunners at the end of the season. But how will the Gunners cope without him? Remember how Manchester United struggled when Alex Ferguson left. You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Uh, so we finish off the show with a look at Arsenal and Arsene Wenger with the monumental happenings at the Gunners with manager Arsene Wenger announcing that he will step down at the end of the season after nearly 22 seasons in charge. Well, despite his success, the disappointing form over the past two seasons has seen more and more fans losing faith in Wenger and calls for him to go increasingly loud. Well, our European football expert Stuart Weir gives his reflections on Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal. During his time at Arsenal, he has won three Premier League titles and seven FA Cups and taken Arsenal to the Champions League virtually every season. In 2006, Arsenal were in the Champions League final but lost 2-1 to Barcelona after having goalkeeper Jans Lehmann controversially sent off early in the game and despite leading against Barcelona for more than half the game. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson, the Manchester United legend, was one of the first to pay tribute to Arsene Wenger, saying, I am pleased he has announced that he is leaving at this stage of the season so that he can get the send-off that he truly deserves. He is without doubt one of the greatest Premier League managers, and I have proud to be a rival, a colleague, and a friend to such a man. Now, at a time when most Premier League managers are from overseas, it is hard for us to remember that in 1996, foreign coaches were completely unheard of, 
and Arsenal were seen to be taking an enormous risk in appointing him. But Wenger revolutionised English football, changing players' diets, much more fish, vegetables, chicken and so on, introducing vitamins, stopping players from drinking alcohol, introducing fitness regimes, stretching, more skills-based training, and generally making the players fitter and healthier. In his biography of Arsene Wenger, journalist John Cross sums the man up in the following ways. An innovator in diet and training, a man of his word, popular with players and ex-players, loyal to his staff, having a fierce temper and being one of the worst losers anyone has ever seen, and also with a great ability to spot raw talent. Wenger summed up his own approach to management in the following words. We are in a job where you have to win, but the truth is that the ambition of every great club must be beyond that. It must be to win and to win with style. You have to think of the people who pay a lot of money to come and watch matches. You always have to have in mind that people want to wake up in the morning excited about going to the stadium and then going home having enjoyed themselves. In fact, the real goal of professional football entails not just winning, but also helping people to discover the pleasure of watching something beautiful. That's a really important summary of Wenger's approach, because he always wanted to win the style, to play the right kind of football, and there are examples of games, particularly in the Champions League, where Arsenal were leading, should have sat back and preserved the win, but continued to attack and finished up losing the game. Wenger lost 6-0 on one occasion to Chelsea because he refused to admit that the game was gone and sit back, damage limitation, but rather he insisted in going for the win, trying to get the goals back. Now, one of the negatives you'd have to say about Arsene Wenger is that having started brilliantly, he won no trophies from 2005 to 2013. And while he won the Premier League title three times in his first eight years, he has not won it since 2004. He was often involved in arguments with referees, the fourth officials, and even with other managers. Now, I thought his position was well summed up by Tim Payton of the Arsenal Supporters Trust who said had Wenger left in 2006, he would be regarded as Arsenal's greatest ever manager. But what has happened in the past 12 years has really tarnished his early achievements. So how do we sum him up? A great manager changed the face of English football, but perhaps he overstayed his welcome and over the last few years has seen his Arsenal team decline and ceased to be serious contenders for the Premier League. Yes, he probably should have left earlier, but uh, did do a lot to please the Arsenal leadership as the club was still profitable, even in those years without trophies. 
Thanks so much to Stuart Weir. So the question is, who will take over from Arsene Wenger? Former Barcelona coach Luis Enrique is among the front runners, but we'll have to see who will get the job there at the Gunners. This week on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking, will Arsenal be better off without Wenger? I know that many Arsenal fans are delighted with Wenger's departure, but will it benefit the club straight away? Will it maybe be a painful process? Remember, Manchester United are still finding their feet five years after Sir Alex Ferguson left. Ferguson had been in charge for 27 years, and they're still not the team that they were. They had David Moyes in charge, then Ryan Giggs as an interim manager, Louis van Gaal, and now Jose Mourinho. So, how will the Gunners cope without Arsene Wenger? Will they be able to play the beautiful football that Stuart's been highlighting that they played under Wenger? Will the results get better or will they get worse? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment. Uh, that's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. So will Arsenal be better off without Arsene Wenger? The Gunners play away to Manchester United on Sunday in the big game in the English Premier League this weekend. Uh, champions Manchester City are away to West Ham also on Sunday. On Saturday, Liverpool play Stoke and Chelsea away to Swansea in some of the highlights of this weekend. And in Spain, Barcelona could be crowned La Liga champions on Sunday as they play Deportivo La Coruña with second place Atletico Madrid away to Alaves. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.